All right, I'm going to be reading from Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, chapter 12, verses 1 through 10. I must go on boasting. Although there is nothing to be gained, I will go on to visions and revelations from the Lord. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the th- up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, but God knows, was caught up to paradise. He heard inexpressible things, things that man is not permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself, except about my weaknesses. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. But I refrain, so no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. To keep me from becoming conceited because of these surpassingly great revelations, there was given me a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan, to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me, but he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then I am strong. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Sister Tammy. Good morning. First of all, before I go any further, on behalf of my two granddaughters who are here this morning, Uh, My two daughters, my mom, and my love of my life for 35 years now today. Uh, We want to, uh, yeah, that's, yeah, we give God the praise for that. Amen. Amen. That she stayed with me for 35 years. Amen. Uh, We want to wish each and every one of you a very uh, happy and prosperous and healthy and all those good things for the new year. Thank you. Thank you. Let's go to the Lord in prayer and our friends online as well as you who are present here uh, this morning. uh, Let's ask God's blessing on this last day of 2023. Father, thank you for this gathering and thank you for the people of God who have chosen uh, to give your name the praise on this final day of 2023. Lord, you've been so good to all of us, and uh, we want to acknowledge that by our presence, if nothing else, this morning. We love you, Lord. May we be attentive to what you have for us, each one of us, on a very personal level. In Jesus' name, and all of God's people said, amen and amen. Well, congratulations, you made it. (laughs) Well, 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 not yet. We still have a few hours yet to go, don't we? Uh, But but you're almost there. And uh, uh, to welcome in 2024. And uh, I can hear someone saying, But now what? We made it over. Now what? 
And my response to that would be, well, let's, let's do it all over again, shall we? As we uh, come into the first of the year tomorrow. So as we prepare ourselves to enter another year, I'd like to share a story with you that Connie and I heard just recently. It was a story of a broken wing bird. And the story went like this. One day this lady was looking out of her front window and noticed the flock of birds. But one in particular caught her attention because it had a broken wing. Being the animal lover that she is, she went out and rescued that little broken wing bird and brought it to her home, nourished it, fed it, and then returned it back to his family, the, the flock of, of uh, birds. An interesting thing happened, though, she said. The next day, that little broken-winged bird made its way to that front porch again to receive nourishment and food to keep it going. And that went on, believe it or not, for a couple of weeks. And I thought about that story, and I must confess that in many respects, I'm like that broken-winged bird. I keep coming back to the source of my food daily. And, well, rightfully so. And, and I suspect I'm not alone in this. There are many of us who need to return to our source of nourishment daily, which is, well, which is Jesus Christ. After all, one of Jesus' titles is he's the bread, what, of life. He's the bread of life. So, so let's face it, we're, we're, we're all broken. We're, we're all broken individuals in one way or another. Thus, we need Jesus' loving care to keep us going on a daily basis. In fact, the story of uh, the Apostle Paul, thorn in the flesh, points to that fact. In other words, his broken wing. So, so let me ask you, uh, uh, let me ask you this. Have you ever wondered what Paul's thorn in the flesh was? His broken wing, if you please. You see, all it tells us in Scripture is that it was a messenger sent of Satan to torment Paul. Did you know, did you know that that over the years, theologians have come up with many conclusions to the mystery of the thorn in the flesh that Paul talks about here. Some said it was a physical malady, namely his eyesight. Others said it's anxiety. You know, Paul had a... a uh, 
a bad reputation, if I could use those terms, of having people of the way, Christians were called that at that, uh, at that time, people of the way, incarcerated, and, and even killed at times. So he was anxious about that. He was worried about that. Some of the theologians say, that was his thorn in the flesh, his anxiety. Others said persecution and hardship. But one thing for sure, whatever it was, it wasn't pleasant. It caused suffering in his life, which is why the Bible says in 2 Corinthians 12, 8, three times, Paul says, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. Uh, yet we, we see in the Apostle Paul's life that adversity, hardship, challenges, suffering was a bridge to a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ according to verse 10. I know it doesn't make sense. If you recall, Pastor Steve most recent series with us, he made this statement, and I quote, I quote, we enjoy him on the mountain. You remember that? We enjoy him, God, on the mountain. We get to know God in the wilderness. Let, let me say that again. We enjoy him on the mountain, we get to know God in the wilderness. What a profound statement when you, when you think about it. You, you see, there's something about the wilderness experience, a.k.a. suffering, that either makes us or breaks us. You, you see, that's why Paul goes on to say in verse 9, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. Many of us, dare I say, all of us are aware of our thorn in the flesh, that broken wing, if you please, that we've cried out to the Lord to remove over the years. And for, for clarification purposes, for, for clarification purposes, you married couples in here. This is for clarification purposes now. You, you married couples in here. Your thorn in the flesh is not your spouse. Now just look straight ahead. Don't, don't look to your left or to your right. We are not even sure that Paul the Apostle was married. For you parents, for you parents, your thorn in the flesh is not your children. For you workers, your thorn in the flesh is not your, your boss. You might sometimes feel that way, but I assure you it's, it's not your boss. Uh, but you see, we, we face another year, Ipsy Free, to deal with this ongoing problem in, our, in each one of our personal lives. 
this thorn in the flesh, this broken wing, if you please. So, so with that said, what can we learn from Paul's suffering because of his thorn in the flesh that will make us better followers of Christ in 2024? Well, I'm glad you asked. The first lesson we can learn is that suffering prevents conceit. Suffering prevents conceit. Uh, verse 7 of 2 Corinthians 12 says this, to keep me from becoming what? Conceited because of the surpassing great revelations, there was given me a thorn in the flesh. Uh, let's face it, folks, we're, we, we all battle with conceit at times in our lives. And, and oh, by the way, the big brother of conceit is pride. And, and this is especially true when life is going good for us. When we feel like we're, well, we're on top of the world. And, and let's be honest, most people would not admit that they're conceited. Would you give that to me? In other words, you wouldn't come up to somebody and say, hi, my name is Raymond, and oh, by the way, I'm conceited. No, you, you, don't, you don't do those type of things. And therein lies the danger. You, you see, the Bible has nothing good to say about pride and conceit. In fact, pride is what brought about the fall of Lucifer, that beautiful angel, if you recall, who defied God and fell from grace, according to Isaiah chapter 14, 12 and following. Here's what uh, Lucifer, whose name would be changed after his fall to Satan, said in the beginning. He said, I will make myself like the most high God. If that's not conceit, if that's not pride, folks, I don't know what is. Here's what Philippians 2.3 says. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better than themselves. Proverbs 16.8 says this. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. Truth be told, some of us need to eat a little humble pie at times. We're, we're too big for our bridges, as the uh, seniors used to say in my day. So that's why the Apostle Paul says in 2 Corinthians 12, 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. If the greatest apostle in the Bible could struggle with conceit, a.k.a. pride, what does that say about you or me? But not only the surprising great revelation that God had given Paul, which might cause him to be conceited, but, but consider Paul's background, would you, for just a second with me, found in Philippians chapter 3, verses 6 through 4 through 6. Here's what Paul says. If anyone else thinks he has reason to put confidence in the flesh, conceit, I have more, he said. Circumcised on the eighth day 
of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law of Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuted the church, as for legalistic righteousness, faultless, faultless. You'd think Paul would be prone to struggle occasionally with conceit with his background? Possibly. You, you see, pride and conceit is that silent killer of spiritual growth. Oh, I said something there, didn't I? <laughs> Let me say that again. Pride and conceit is that silent killer of spiritual growth. Have you ever met someone who, who well, thinks the, the universe revolves around them? You, you don't need to, again, just look straight ahead. Don't look to your left or to your right. Uh, they, 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 they figured life out. Have you met a, a, a guy or a gal like that? They figured life out. The world revolves around them. Hey, how about this one? Have you ever met someone who thinks that without them, the church would not survive. They, they, they know that their gifts are such that without their particular gift, gift that, well, the, the church would close its doors. You see, nothing could be further from the truth. Here's a newsflash. God's work will go on with or without you. God's work will go on with or without you. So, so we see that one of the benefits of suffering is that it cancels out conceit. Suffering brings about humility, unlike conceit that makes you think that, well, you're all that in a bag of chips. Have you heard the old saying, or you may have said this, at some point in your life, but for the grace of God, there go I. Hmm. Some of us are saying, how many times have we said that statement? Folks, that's why the scripture tells us in Galatians 6.1, brothers and sisters, if someone is caught in sin, you who live by the Spirit should restore that person gently, gently, but watch yourself, or you also may be tempted. And Paul tells the Galatian church this because he knew that we're all broken wing individuals. You remember the story of the lady caught in adultery? Let me refresh your memory in John chapter 8. Jesus conducting a Bible study. Pharisees drag a woman. You remember that, don't you? And to the midst of the crowd, said to Jesus, first of all, they had the audacity to, to disturb his Bible study. Then secondly, they said, this woman is caught in adultery. The law says stone her. What do you say, Jesus? The scripture says that he bowed down and just wrote. While these Pharisees, oh, oh by the way, they may have been some of her customers, yeah, that's not written in the scriptures there, but that's a possibility. That, that they kept 
badgering Jesus, and Jesus got up and said, he who is without sin, what? Cast the first stone. And the scripture says that they paraded out the eldest first. Ask the woman, where are your accusers? Do I accuse you? Go and sin no more, Jesus told the lady. So in this upcoming year, let, let, let's be intentional, shall we, Ipsy, and, and showing some compassion to others who have broken wings, knowing that we too have brokenness in our own lives. Yes, in this new year, because of our broken wing, let's remain humble, shall we? Because as much as we want to avoid suffering, suffering prevents conceit. But the second lesson, the second lesson, the second lesson that we can learn from Paul's suffering due to his thorn in the flesh is that suffering displays God's grace. Suffering displays God's grace. Here's what Jesus said to Paul concerning the thorn in the flesh found in verse 9. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You, you see, suffering puts on display, if we allow it, to the grace of God as a world watches. Suffering can really betray the sufficiency of God's empowering grace. Said another way, in the midst of our suffering, we learn that God's grace is sufficient. I, I wonder if anyone here today can testify to God's all-sufficient grace in the midst of your struggles this past year. By the way, what is grace? Well, simply put, undeserved favor. So, so let me ask the question again. How many of us have experienced God's grace this year. <laughs> Listen, folks, every hand in this sanctuary, you know what? I don't have enough hand or feet to hold up. Every hand in this sanctuary should go up because we all have at one time or another in 2023 benefited from God's grace, whether you know it or not. And the good news is that this grace will continue to be evident as we move into a new year, 2024. But, but, but let's think back over uh, 2023 for a moment, shall we? To the times when God's grace was evident in your life. Times this past year that all you could say was, but God, but God. Let's see if I can refresh your memory. Remember that blessing you received that you know you didn't deserve? Grace. Grace. Those 365 days you woke up in the morning clothing your right mind, and as in my neck of the woods say, that your bed wasn't your cooling board. Somebody knows what I'm talking about here. Grace. That ticket you avoided, yeah, you know, that, that ticket you avoided 
when you clearly ran the red light, you looked to your, your right and you saw the police sitting there. And they didn't put on their lights and siren and pulled you over. You kept going. Folks, grace. That promotion or job you receive when you know you were not qualified. Grace. When you should have been laid off. You remember that time. When you should have been laid off from your job, but you made the cut, didn't you? Grace. The accident you avoided, but the car behind you was hit. Grace. That special person that enters your life this year. Grace. Uh, that healing that you receive when others, well, others died from it. Grace. That restoration of a relationship that you thought, well, couldn't be saved. Grace. Uh, speaking of that, uh, uh, I'd like to uh, share a very personal story of God's grace in my own life this year. Some 30 years ago now, I made a bad decision which impacted this individual in a negative way. I was sorry for it. I admitted to the fact that I made the bad decision. I tried to make amends immediately following that, but they didn't receive my apology. For 30 years, Ipsy, I've prayed that, that I could make amends with this individual for 30 plus years. This past year, this past year, our paths crossed. And I was able to admit, first of all, that I had made a bad choice and asked for their forgiveness. And they received my forgiveness. Folks, that's grace. That's grace. I I'm trying to make a point here, though, that we're all benefactors of God's grace on a regular basis, whether we know it or not. And, and, and let me tell you uh, something else. There's nothing like being on the receiving end of God's grace, his undeserved favor. Folks, grace cannot be earned and is something that is freely given. You remember the story of the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. Let me refresh your memory. A dad, two sons, the youngest son, you recall, said, Dad, give me my inheritance, didn't he? And he left for a distant land. The scripture said he squandered the wealth that was given to him. And we all know if we've lived long enough, when it rains sometimes, it what? It pours. After he had lost all of what Dad had given him and his portion of the inheritance, the economy went south. He could only hire himself out, the scripture says, to a pig farm, basically. 
And as he was feeding those pigs, and they were burping because they were so well fed, he thought about home. And he remembered at home that they had servants. He didn't talk about being restored to sonship now. He's talking about the servants. He remembered that the servants had a roof over their head, had clothes on their back, and more importantly, they had three square meals a day. That boy wasn't, uh, wasn't he, uh, he came to his right mind, as the scripture says, and he went back, the scripture says, to his dad. Because he said, I've sinned against heaven and I've sinned against you. It said that as the, his dad saw him from a distance, he ran. Now, that's, that's uncharacteristic of an elder of that day to run. But he ran to his son, embraced them, kissed them. He said, Dad, I've sinned against heaven and against you. Before he can complete the sentence, his dad called to his servant, didn't he? He said, bring the robe, put it on him. Bring the ring, put it on his finger. That's sonship, folks. Bring the sandals and put it on his feet. Kill the fatted calf. My son, who was dead, is now alive. Who was lost, is now found. Grace. Grace was shown to that young man. So, so, so we're, we're saying here is that suffering can be redemptive if we allow it to. Truth of the matter, I don't deserve anything God offers me. Paul is saying, you know what sustains me in my suffering? God's grace in the midst of my broken wing. Grace. The hymn writer put it this way, and some of us grew up singing this song, didn't we? Marvelous grace of our loving Lord, grace that exceeds our sin and our guilt. Yonder on Calvary's mount, mount outpour, there where the blood of the Lamb was spilt. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that pardons and cleanses within. Grace, grace, God's grace. Grace that is greater than all our sin. Ipsy, God's grace is sufficient because it's greater than all of our sins. And grace is ultimately revealed in salvation, isn't it? That is freely given to us all. In Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it says as much. Because it says, for it is by what? Grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not for yourself. It's the gift of God, not of works lest any man should boast. Yes, suffering portrays the sufficiency of God's empowering grace for a broken-winged people. Thus, suffering puts on display for all to see God's grace towards you and towards me. The, the final lesson, though, the final lesson that suffering teaches us during, due to the thorn in the flesh is that suffering perfects the power of Christ. Suffering perfects the power of Christ. In verse 9, it concludes with Jesus saying, for my power is made perfect in weakness. 
in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Suffering has a way of turning one's attention to Christ unlike anything else. Because when times are good, unfortunately, we have no use for God, for Jesus Christ, for the Holy Spirit. But on the other hand, let things go south, like the prodigal son, and suddenly one begins to cry out to God for help. You, you see, when things are going good for us, we, well, we may skip a devotional here or there. Or, or maybe your schedule won't allow you to attend church, well, because you have two tickets to the Lions game. Just, just keep looking straight ahead. Don't, don't turn to your left or to your right here. Or, or if I get around to it, I'll, I'll, find, I'll find time to pray. Because, well, well, I'm so blessed. I, I'm, I'm blessed with so much that God has given, given to me. You, you see, that's when things are going good for you. You have your health. You have a job, a loving family. You're on top of the world. So you think. So you think. But let the bottom fall out. Suddenly all those things you you didn't have time for becomes priority, doesn't it? Like prayer, like church attendance, like witnessing, like giving. Remember the story of Job. The scripture says God had a community meeting, if we can use those terms. He met with the angels, and who shows up but Satan? And he said, where did you come from? Satan. And he said, I come from going to and fro in this earth. He said, have you considered my servant Job? This is God speaking now. Have you considered my servant Job? Upright, man of integrity, blameless. How would you like God to say that about you? He said, is he doing that for naught? You've blessed a man. It's easy to praise God, isn't it, when things are going our, our way and we're blessed. But he said, take some of that stuff away from him and see when he curse you to your face. He said, all right, Satan. You can have access to his stuff, but don't put your hands on him. We know the story. Lost his children. Lost all of his wealth. And yes, eventually he lost some of his health. And see, this, this, this wasn't punitive suffering, folks. There is a difference. Punitive suffering. You remember when you used to be in class and, the, and, and one guy messed it up for everybody because they were talking, and the teacher said, Who's that talking? And everybody points to, to you. And, he, and, and the teacher said, okay, everybody, right 100 times, I will not talk. Now, for the kid, that was punitive. But for the 99 or so other students, it wasn't punitive. It wasn't punitive for Job. He didn't do anything to deserve it. But he went through a period of suffering. 
But you, with Job, you have to read to the end of the book, don't you? Where God restored everything to him. After his suffering, after his period of suffering. Folks, whether you know it or not, we're in a spiritual fight with the enemy of our souls, Satan. That's why Paul said, I want to know him in the power of his resurrection and in the fellowship of his suffering. Fellowship of his suffering? Are you out of your mind? You, you see, Paul knew that suffering perfects the power of Christ in us. No one wants to suffer, but suffering draws us closer to Christ if we allow it to. And Jesus Christ's desire is for us to be in that intimate, personal love relationship with him, as Henry Blackaby often said. So, so suffering can make us bitter or make us better in our relationship with Christ. Folks, confession time. I haven't arrived. I'm not going to stand up here as if I'm holier than thou. I haven't arrived yet. And, and I'm one of those broken wing individuals that need Jesus Christ's love, mercy, and grace on a daily basis. So suffering perfects the power of Christ in us. So, so let, let's conclude this. What are our next steps? Let's face it, folks. No one wants to suffer. I get that. And for some of us, it brings us to a crisis of faith, doesn't it? That we start questioning our faith because of our suffering. And, and, and I'm not a prophet, nor am I the son of a prophet. But I can tell you this, that everyone seated here this morning, along with yours truly, will experience some level of suffering. Now, if you're going to quote me now, quote me right. I said, some level of suffering in 2024. Just keep living. Just keep living. Now, now please don't misunderstand me. I'm not wishing suffering on anybody. In fact, I hope for all of us, Love, joy, peace, prosperity, all the good things. But I know we live in a fallen world, don't we? A world that's full of sin. So Dr. Charles Stanley, the late Dr. Charles Stanley, made this statement. Brokenness is God's requirement for maximum usefulness. What? Brokenness, suffering. It's God's requirement for maximum, maximum usefulness. The suffering that, that brings brokenness is to make us more like Jesus. Because suffering pre prevents conceit, it, it displays God's grace, and it perfects the power of Christ in us. But, but here's, here, uh, here's what gets me really happy, folks. And uh, uh, I don't want to start running up and down the, the, the aisle here, but, but Paul says in Romans chapter 8, 18, as we conclude all of this, he says, I consider our present suffering, praise God, I consider our present suffering 
not worthy to be compared to the glory that will be revealed in us. Hallelujah. Our present suffering. And I know it doesn't make sense, uh, but the Bible is full of statements that don't make human sense. Like, 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 for instance, like, for instance, if you want to be first, the scripture says you have to be what? You have to be last. What's up with that? That doesn't make any sense. How about this one? If you want to save your life, the scripture teaches, you must what? Lose it. That doesn't make sense. And, and here's another one. If you want to be strong, you must glory in your what? In your weakness. Duh. It doesn't make sense. But, but the biggest seemingly contradiction is that a loving God 